You're now tuned in to the cold, hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea piping hot so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via whatsapp at 324-1612 email tips at caymanmarlroad.com now here's your host sandy hill broadcasting live from the beautiful cayman islands me right here in the Cayman Islands. What is going on? I need to adjust my camera. Give me one quick second here. Let me just see. One quick second. One quick second. Yes. Let me just see. I was going to actually, um, I was saying to myself this morning, um, that I was going to my, my forehead is a little bit extra shiny. Look at that. It's just the angle of the lighting, I think. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. We do have some guests, of course, who are joining us today because it is Caribbean Connection Wednesdays. So let me just check in um, with everyone. We've got Danica 
from Jamaica who will be joining us. We have hopefully Jacqueline from Miami who will be oops, joining us as well. Jacqueline works with the Miami Herald. She's a really busy woman, so she's gonna just pop in for a little bit. Atlas, Wagwan, Wagwan, what's up? Whoop, whoop. Brandon, good morning, my friend. Um, it looks a little bit extra dark in here today only because on the outside, we are getting some beautiful showers, some beautiful rain, and it looks like it's gonna be an absolutely rainy day. But that's all right. The rain makes everything fresh and new and all better. And uh, as Charles Werdeker was just reminding me, um, you know, he has some amazing conversations with me sometimes. And he says it must rain on the just and the unjust. And he reminded me of that um, just a few days ago. He was saying, listen, rain is a funny thing, you know, especially in Cayman. Sometimes the rain will start like, you can literally see the point where the rain starts. But when the rain does start, it doesn't just rain in one person's house, it rains in everybody's house in that area. So um, the just and the unjust, look at this, Jacqueline is here. What's up? Good morning, young lady. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I think the last time you saw me, I didn't have my specs on, but I recently started wearing specs again. You gotta see <laughs> what's too. happening in the world, girl. <laughs> That's true, me too. Yeah, I don't technically need them for the computer, but I still, sometimes I still put them on. So how are you? I'm good. I mean, we're, we're here. I'm in Miami still, yeah. still covering the region from Miami with COVID, kind of yeah. tired COVID. <laughs> oh my gosh. So listen, let's jump right in. I told everybody you were joining us this morning and you were obviously a very busy person. Um, things have been crazy in the U.S. on a number of fronts. So for us, the region includes the U.S., which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, not just the Caribbean region. So tell us what has been going on in Miami. I know you've had the general elections, which a lot of us here were watching with great interest. Yes. And we continue to watch with great interest um, as lots of unusual things happen. 2020 has just been the year for Murphy's Law. If, if it could happen, it's going to happen. Exactly. Um, so give us a brief synopsis and what the vibe is like in Miami. You know, a lot of Caymanians have connections to Miami. If we could travel anywhere right now, 80% of us would be traveling back and forth from Miami. So what's going on in the MIA? All right. So first of all, we are in a third wave. I think not just Miami or Florida, but a number of states in the U.S. in terms mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And particularly to Florida, the governor, our Republican governor, um, and the legislature, they're basically saying containing COVID is not their problem. Uh -uh. So that basically means that people should not expect to see any of the intense lockdowns um, that we saw earlier this year. Uh, so what I have been telling my family in Turks and Caicos, if you don't have to travel, <laughs> don't come. Um, wow. I mean, those of us who are here, you know, and especially me, I'm mindful of it. So I still practice my own self-isolation, go out when needed. 
But yeah, when you go out, you know, cars are back on the street, stores are open. Some stores are taking the initiative on themselves to once again start to limit the number of people um, mm-hmm. who enter. Um, I haven't been to the gym since this whole outbreak, you know, happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so we're in we're in a third wave, and 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 what that means is that you really have to look at the hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that- biggest concerns because we're seeing that in some places where they're literally running out of beds. Um, and as it starts to get cooler and colder in other places, you can mm. expect that spike to go up. Uh, people wow. are at the, at the idea that there are two vaccines out there, Bordena and Pfizer, but mm. it's going to take time. Um, yeah. If, if they are as... Um if they are as successful as preliminary results show, because they are very preliminary. Yeah, well, 90% efficacy, right? And it's this whole big debate with people saying um, they're not going to get a vaccine. But I read something, you know, if 40% of the population rejects it, then we're still going to be in a situation where we're going to have to wear masks. You're going to still have to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm like, show me the line. I need to get my, my life back. I want to get back on the plane. Oh, my gosh. But vaccines only work, as you rightfully pointed out, if there is community acceptance of the vaccine. Yeah. So this concept, and I know there's a lot of anti-vaxxers right here in the Cayman Islands who don't believe that vaccines have ever done anything good. They're refusing to look at the history of it all. Um, it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. So we have that. And of course, the big story is the presidential elections, right? We're still mm-hmm. waiting for President Trump to concede. But I have to tell you, as a journalist, I mean, it's just been so refreshing. I get these email readouts of mm-hmm. President-elect Biden and pre- Vice President-elect Kamala Harris in terms of you know, they met with this person, they made call to this foreign leaders, here's mm-hmm. what the conversation said. I mean, we have not seen this in the last four years with Trump administration. I mean, if you get anything, it's like two, three sentences that means nothing. Um, so if you don't have the benefit of being in Washington and the leaky West Wing, you know, you're at a loss. So it is refreshing when you're starting to see that. But the, t- the, the clock is ticking. And for those of us who don't really follow American politics, yes, on January 20th, you have an inauguration of a new president. But those days leading up to that are critical mm-hmm. for the incoming president and his team so mm-hmm. that they have the security briefing, the intelligence briefings to know what's going on so they can make decisions in terms of who he's going to bring on his team, but where. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy, he pointed out, is like Kamala Harris, because she's a senator, she has access to the intelligence briefings, but he doesn't. Wow. Um, you know, but we are starting to see some pushing that, you know, the, I think the craziest story is in Georgia, um, you know, the the Republican, you know, Secretary of State who's in charge of recounting the ballots. He's getting phone calls. He's getting threats. Uh, and he's a conservative Republican. And, they, you know, people want him to just throw out the ballots. And he's like, no, we, we have to do this right. Um, we saw Michigan. They find certified Wade County, which is Detroit. At one point, um, Trump supporters were very happy because they were divided at 2-2. Finally, you know, they reached some deal. Okay, Michigan is is Biden. So Mm. piece by piece, we're getting there, but Mm -hmm. it has to happen sooner than later. 
Right. And you know what is so interesting? I was actually listening to something, I think it was on NPR, about um, this concept of you know, President Trump's refusal um, to concede and what that in real terms means. Um, and they pointed out to a couple other instances where there wasn't necessarily a refusal to concede, but there was a delay in this transitionary period. And one of those was with President um, Bush when he was taking over the younger President Bush. And they said that that could have actually led to him not being as prepared as he could have been for 9-11. Yes, because he would have received per, um, day or something. Yeah. yeah, he could have received security briefings earlier about Al Qaeda and what they had been up to and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, people think, oh, what's the big deal if Trump doesn't want to um, concede right now and start to hand over bits and pieces of this process? But as you rightfully pointed out, there is a practical element to this that is now slowing the incoming president down, the president elect. And uh, that's a real concern. Yeah, because it's not just that he's saying I, I lost, but you know, the president-elect and his team, they need access to funding, which just GSA is not giving because the president hasn't conceded and the election is still to them like in question. Um, they all, and, and they need access to these meetings. And so, yeah, so on top of it, Trump is not even giving them access to the meetings. The GSA is not giving them access to money so that they can, you know, um, get moving. So what you're seeing in terms of some of the people who are working on the transition, a lot of them have been volunteers um, and they've given the waivers to some to some to participate. Mm, wow. That is crazy. So the recount is happening in Georgia. Do we know how far into the recount they are? Um, I'm not sure, but I, I, but in Georgia, I mean, the last story I saw with Georgia is like, okay, yeah, they saw some ballots that, um, had not been counted, like 2,500, but they're not enough to make a difference. The margin was still like 14,000. And so, um, yeah. so yeah, so we expect for Georgia, if it hasn't been certified already to be certified, you know, any day now. Right. But okay. we're seeing this, the Trump, you know, team, they're losing in these court battles. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the stories that are leaking out of Washington is that he knows that he's lost and that mm -hmm. this is just setting him up for like four years later, his campaign. But again, there's practical mm -hmm. ramifications. Right. In this. Yeah. I heard of a case where they had accused um, a dead man of voting and as it turns out, it was actually his wife. But exactly. because she goes by Mrs. John Smith or whatever, yes. they missed the Mrs. part. <laughs> that she was actually a woman. She was very much alive. And this woman was like 90 years old. And yes. when they interviewed her and they said, well, can we ask you who you voted for? She said, well, I voted against Trump. <laughs> so she wasn't even saying that she was voting for Biden, but she was voting against Trump. There's like, I think there was like a hundred or some ridiculous number of candidates that were on the ballot. So yeah, right. So she's like, oh my gosh, that is yeah, crazy. There was another, there was another woman who was also there was another accusation about another woman, and it was not her. There was a there was a spelling in, in the a different spelling in the two names and different date of birth. I think it was Carson, and he never even went back to to correct that. He corrected it on this ninety year old woman but not on this other one. So it, yeah, I mean, look, you don't have elections that are perfect, but you have the, you know, the head of Homeland Security who I think Trump fired yesterday, but he said mm -hmm. this is for the most secure elections there were. So yeah. 
Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Well, um, we will continue to obviously hear with a side eye, if you know what I mean, <laughs> watch the situation. Uh, we were actually very invested in it. As a Caribbean island, I think we enjoy American politics. Um, there are a lot of Trump supporters here, which might be shocking to some people. But um, yeah, it's it's quite quite an interesting time for sure. So COVID is in a third wave. We saw some increasing numbers, I think, last week or midweek. You guys reached over 160,000 cases in a single day. Yeah. Um, that was shocking. So are you, across the US, are records continuing to be broken? I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but the trend well, is- Yeah, I mean, there's still records. I mean, what's interesting is like just last month, the Pan American Health Organization said just for the entire region, right? Which includes, oh, includes the Caribbean, the yeah. US, Mexico, Canada. We were logging 100,000 new cases a day. And this is just a month ago that they were saying this. And now to think the United States has surpassed that just in the US. And remember, COVID is still exploding in this region. We still have a COVID mm -hmm. problem, you know, while we're in this new normal, but but it's, it, it, it's still an issue. So um, yeah, so we saw the third wave start off in Europe. Um, we, we saw the lockdowns and that's really been the debate is that um, behind the scenes, you know, countries as well as individual states in the US are having this debate on lockdowns and trying not to do them. Mm. But what we're starting to see is new mask mandates, curfews go into place, schools getting suspended. I mean, we're starting to see lockdowns in some places. Um, just because I'm surprised that you said in the U.S. Um, the approach now is that the government is saying it's not their problem in terms of. Well, be, okay, so this is Florida. So let's be clear. This is Florida right. and my Republican okay. governor. Um, who, oh, Lord. Who wanted to, um, who opened up very quickly, you know, who mm -hmm. opened up. He's been following Trump's lead. And in fact, mm -hmm. we had a story at the Miami Herald last week about whether or not Florida and him, well, particularly him, Governor DeSantis, whether he was trying to promote herd immunity um, mm -hmm. by opening everything up, suspending the ability for local governments to have meetings um, online and saying they now have to go back and having in-person meetings. So, you know, and that's been a huge debate, right? Because for her, mm -hmm. he basically says, you're just gonna let everybody get it who needs to get it, you know, and it's like, you know, um, yeah, those who are strong survive and those who don't, and so it's and, and there's been this whole yeah. controversial debate about it. Um, because yeah. look at the numbers, despite how high the number is, we're still not at that percentage that you would need to get to sort of a herd immunity, yeah. Um, and there's there's no um actual scientific evidence that herd immunity will, will even work in this case. They exactly. don't know that. It. Was it Switzerland, I think? The, 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 yeah, somebody tried it. It didn't work out well for them. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So, basically, the approach is that, that. But, again, you know what? This thing is fluid and things change. And this is a state yeah. where you have a lot of older people and you have like very strong local government. So mm -hmm. while the state legislature may not see this as their responsibility, you could have a situation where if these numbers continue to go up, and especially with Thanksgiving literally days away, they may be left with no other choice. Mm. Wow. Wow. What a hot mess. Um, well, we recorded our second death here a couple of days ago um, here on Cayman Mall Road. We actually broke that story, a little bit of a 
uh, feather in her cap for the week. Um, this lady was actually someone who had lived in the Cayman Islands. She was a Cayman Islands resident and a long serving civil servant for a number of years. Uh, ironically enough, she was actually living in Jamaica. And my understanding is she had gone back to Jamaica for treatment for cancer and then decided because she has, uh, because of her civil servant history, um, has medical benefits here. So she decided to re-enter the Cayman Islands. And um, of course, upon re-entry, they realized that she was indeed uh, COVID positive, immediately hospitalized her. And then within days, she was on a ventilator. And unfortunately, this past weekend on Sunday, she passed away on Sunday afternoon. Now we have a phase, I don't know if you know this, Jackie, but we do have a phase reopening um, uh, program in place. Yeah. And we are still requiring 14 days of quarantining. And that seems to be our saving grace because every positive case that has popped up uh, in the last month since we reopened October the 1st, just about every single case has been a traveler who has come in and then at the end of their quarantining period um, has tested positive. They do get tested at the beginning at the airport, I think kind of as like a benchmark test and then at the 14 days. So we're catching them, thankfully. And of course, they have to remain in isolation um, until they are given the all clear. Let me ask you this. I haven't said, because I haven't done the, the, I was doing these follow-up weekly um, throughout the region with the, with the protocols. Um, mm -hmm. Is the quarantining came in at home or is it government monitor? Right. So they introduced an at-home um, element to this in October. And so they have a geo-tracking device called um, I Am Safe. Yeah. So you get geofenced into your home, into your property, and they have to pre-approve your location that you wish to quarantine at. So there's some hotel facilities that people can quarantine in, and those have been approved. There is still a government facility. So certain individuals who return, um, like people who are from the Cayman Islands, Caymanian natives, uh, government will pay for them to quarantine at that facility. And it isn't cheap, Jackie. It's like $3,000 for the 14 days, which is So I did a story but... just a couple of weeks ago, um, and I find this whole issue to be vast fascinating because I did it on St. Lucia. I, I did it, but the focus was St. Lucia, but it was talking about this whole issue of how we in the Caribbean have been able to keep down our numbers and why we're seeing spikes in other places. So mm -hmm. Jamaica started this whole geo-tracking and it worked mm -hmm. well in the beginning, but as Jamaica opened up and the numbers started to explode mm -hmm. and people coming back, they couldn't keep up. And so right. it has been very public about this is that the reason why their numbers had been going up was because people were not respecting the home right. they were leaving out. Yeah. St. Lucia, on the other hand, managed to get their um, the, the, the travel advisory lowered by the CDC for the U.S. because mm -hmm. they kept their cases down um, to almost none after they opened. But the reason why they did that was that they had government mandatory quarantine, but it was costing them a million dollars a month. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. And yeah. now it's gone away and their numbers are starting to go up. Yeah. So that's also a real question for um, these Caribbean governments that yeah. they want tourism. They're all are saying, oh, it's not the tourists that are bringing it back. It's it's the it's our local travelers, right? We saw in the Bahamas where there was a spike right after they opened in July 1st because people were coming to Miami and they came back with it. But right. it's like, what are you willing to pay? Are you are you willing to to invest in this government quarantine 
Mm -hmm. uh, or are you going to allow people to do it at home knowing that you may not be able to to track them or you may not have the manpower or woman power mm -hmm. in the police to go and do it we've seen that in trinidad i mean it's right. really mixed bags i mean you know everybody knows what will really work government yeah. mandatory well i think um jackie to be fair to the government here one of the things that they have done that's quite interesting as they have put a team together. Um, so they've taken and deployed what would have been our national airline, Cayman Airways employees who right now don't have a whole lot going on. And they've deployed them as part of this team of individuals who are um, in, on the monitoring team. So they have the software, they have 911 tapped in the police with this whole you know, data center. And um, they've only purchased so many uh, wristbands and tracking phones. So they actually went as far as tracking, purchasing the tracking phones. And so in terms of that aspect of it, they will only allow the number of people in that they can geofence okay. based on how many devices they purchase. And then once some people come out of quarantine, then they can accept additional numbers. Having said that, I do have people at the airport going, are you sure that that's actually what's happening? Because when I see British Airways land, it's a flight full of people. <laughs> but that is what they have told us in theory. And we have caught one person who's breached quarantine. They have now amended the law where it's like a $10,000 fine or something and imprisonment type thing if you are caught uh, breaching the quarantine. So they are taking, I think, um, additional steps, maybe because we're a little bit smaller than most jurisdictions, we can put these things in place. And I must say, not every and anyone can come in at this point. It's someone who either owns a home in the Cayman Islands, so they could you know, own a second home here, a third home or whatever. Um, they have some sort of a business here, so they work here. And then we've set up some sort of global concierge program where supposedly rich people who can work remotely have the option of coming in because this is a safer place to be relatively yeah. COVID free. Yeah. yeah, so they're able to come in and work from this location. So um, there are still restrictions on who can come. So it's not open to tourists. Uh, people can't just jump in, but listen, what about these cruise ships, girl? I saw an article yesterday that um, some cruise line was out there cruising around and of course starting to infect people again. And now they're like, oh yes, maybe we won't really do this again until next year. What are they thinking? So, I mean, so honestly, this is a really exhibit A for all of us in the region. You know, mm -hmm. we depend on cruising as part of our dependence on tourism and looking to revive it. And it's interesting because I had an interview about two months ago with Prime Minister Alan Chestnut in mm -hmm. St. Lucia. And he talked about how there were discussions that were ongoing within CARICOM about how to revitalize cruising. And you can have this travel bubble. And with this travel bubble, we will have all of these ministries of health for these islands that are part of the travel bubble. They would act as one ministry of health. Like all this stuff in theory works, mm -hmm. right? But here's the reality. We know that rapid, any testing, mm -hmm. you are only negative in the moment you take that test. Exactly. You walk out, the minute you go home, the minute you do whatever, you're yeah. waiting for results, you could be exposed and not know it. Exactly. First of all, you know that these rapid tests, whether they are rapid PCR, rapid antigen tests, that mm -hmm. if you are asymptomatic, which I understand is over 50% of the people who get COVID, yeah. it does not pick up 
if you are positive. So you can go get a rapid yeah. test and you have COVID, don't know mm -hmm. it, you're spreading it, and mm -hmm. you have a false sense of security. So let's just look at this cruise ship, Sea Dream. That's right. So Sea Dream comes back to Barbados for the first time since March when cruising was suspended basically by everybody, right? First, you know, mm -hmm. we shut them down and then we started seeing individual countries are saying, no, we're not cruising. Um, and so at the end of October, the CDC decided that they were going to not renew the no sale ban, but they put in all of these restrictions in place. That's why you've seen some story on some blog about Royal Caribbean, you know, getting 100,000 people, volunteers to go on these volunteer cruises, which will come back. You're crazy, girl. <laughs> yeah. So, but we know what happened with cruising, right? During during the whole COVID pandemic, we heard all these horror stories, people uh -huh. getting infected on these cruise ships. They can't get off. We didn't hear a lot about the airlines, but we heard about cruises all of the time, all the uh -huh. time. Uh -huh. So now um, here we are. And this cruise ship comes in. Everybody that flew into Barbados under Barbados's requirement had to have a negative laboratory PCR test taken. I think their window is three days with uh, of their arrival into Barbados. Okay, so I come into Barbados and I have my negative test, right? And then when they got to the cruise port. Before they got onto the ship, now, the, according to the company, and they refuse to tell us precisely what kind of test, but we later find out that it's an Abbott ID now, which is a rapid test. This is the test that they were using in the Trump White House. We saw what happened. Right, Lord. So they gave this test to, to, to people before they got on board. And what makes it worse, of the 53 passengers, a lot of them are journalists and bloggers, right? This would be a test run. And then somebody- wow test positive. And the person on board who tests positive actually has symptoms. So when they gave them this rapid test on board the cruise ship, which Barbados had nothing to do with, this is all the cruise line now, uh -huh. it comes back positive. They call Barbados Health Ministry. We got a problem. Can we come back and port there? And can we get the Ministry of Health to help us out? Because we may, we have somebody who has tested positive with a COVID test. So Barbados, after careful consideration, according to them, they allow the ship to go back in. Um, they come on board with their Ministry of Health and they start testing people and they find nine positive cases, two of which are crew members and the rest are passengers. Wow. Um, those who were tested positive, they put them into quarantine, um, into their facility. Uh, this one person had to be medevac out. Oh my God. When I spoke to the chief medical officer, he said that they were going to go back and retest um, the, the, the crew. But, you know, it was interesting. I said, so what does this say to you in terms of the cruising industry, right? Because one of the things is that this ship didn't just go into Barbados, Barbadian waters, just mm -hmm. to go to those waters. They had the support of the Barbados Tourism Authority, the Port Authority. I mean, this mm -mm. was like a partnership deal. It says, hey, let's do a test run. Oh, my but God. They're crazy. Yeah, but this whole idea of a travel bubble, it has holes in it. The, yeah. the, the, the Pan American Health Organization, which is the America's office for the World Health Organization, they're the ones that we're taking our cues from in this region. They're the ones that are giving us guidance. They're giving us tests. They continue to say 
we do not support testing for travel. We don't support testing healthy people for the purpose of travel because at the end of the day, not only are you wasting resources, but you're creating this false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And so this is the danger that we saw. And, 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 and the idea, and I don't know, well, I do know because I think the, the lesson is clear for the cruise industry. If you want to get these cruise ships back on the water, mm-hmm. you're going to make significant investment in these ships in your, you know, um, in the ventilation system mm-hmm. in order to protect people. Because there's something about the way the cruise ships are designed, right? That I They're think, dish. yeah, they lend themselves to inspe- um, yeah. infection spreading. Yeah. And I don't know if anything can be done about that because they're like traveling cities. So you're in such close quarters. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's just impossible on a cruise ship, given the proximity of everything, the open buffet style meals, like everything about a cruise ship encourages spread of infections. (laughs) I mean, whether it's this, a gastrointestinal outbreak, which happens on occasions on these cruise ships, it hardly matters. They are just a Petri dish for whatever people have. And you know what is so amazing um, with this particular situation? This is the Dream Yacht Club. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were like, oh, we thought that pre-testing, this is what they actually said, um, that we, t- we thought that PCR tests being required before the guests boarded was sufficient. Really? This flies against everything we know about COVID. Like that doesn't even make any common sense because Jackie, as you said, and even sometimes I hear this discussed locally where I'm like, people are just not getting it. The moment you take the test, that test result only tells you what your situation is at that moment. It doesn't mean that you have not been exposed to it Uh and you already don't have the virus and it's just not showing up. So there's not enough viral load for you to get a positive test yet. And I keep saying this on this program and I still see discussions on social media where I can see that people are not getting it. They're like, well, if I come in, I'm testing negative at the airport. Why do I have to go into quarantine? I'm like, oh my God, because there's still that incubation period. That's why World Health Organization, PAHO, everybody, the CDC has said the standard is 14 days. Because if you don't don't show any um, symptoms, or you don't show positive tests after 14 days and you don't have it pretty much. And what's interesting is that when you when, and when you look at it, oftentimes people, I don't know how they do it in the, in the Cayman, but in Turks and Caicos, they were testing people sort of at the end, toward the end of that 14 day. And that's yeah. turning a positive. That's and right. What Barbados has said, and I've seen this with them, you know, after they reopened, um, they were retesting people from high risk countries. Uh-huh. And they were finding positive cases. And so now to what they're seeing is that on the fifth day, I think four or five days into Barbados, you have to get tested uh-huh. and people are showing up, are, are showing up positive. Yeah. So, well, um, I think here to not even waste resources, they test you upon entry and then they test you again at the 14 day. So, um, and I think they're doing it that way because they really want to get a sense for if we would make a policy decision to lessen the 14 days, you know, how many people are we catching that tested fine, negative, you know, at the onset, and then 14 days later, they're testing positive. The results are there because every single positive that we get would be these group of individuals who have been sitting in quarantine for two weeks. 
<laughs> so it is very, very interesting, I must say. Um, I was flabbergasted, to be quite honest, to hear that this ship decided to sail. Um, and I mean, the Barbados government has got to be crazy to even agree to this. But again, I think it demonstrates a lack of acceptance of what we know scientifically about COVID. Everybody's living in a fantasy world where we're hoping this goes away. No, they, I mean, let's be real. I mean, these Caribbean governments, they want their travel budgets back. I mean, two yeah. weeks ago, I'm listening to a press conference out of the Bahamas, knowing what the numbers have been in the Bahamas, the surge, the spikes. And it was going, we were going back two months to July 1st. I mean, at one point, they were talking about that they were going to be using, you know, rapid antigen tests to test. People had to come in with a PCR, laboratory PCR test. Then they were going to test people upon entry into Barbados, I mean, into the Bahamas with an antigen rapid test. And then they were going, and if you were still in the country four or five days later, they were going to test you, you know, test you again. Um, and we're saying, but wait a minute, these tests do not pick up people who are asymptomatic. So if you already have a problem with COVID, mm. are you not? You need to put yourself at risk. And all they kept talking about, but you know what, in Mexico and the Dominican Republic, you know, their tourism numbers are out. You know, there's a need for tourism. There's, yes, people are traveling, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you have to figure out how do you balance life and livelihoods, right? Right. How, how, do, how do you, you know, you're putting yeah. honor system that four or five days later, they're going to raise their hand and say, hey, can I get tested? Because I've been here four or five days. So like, that's a case that I'm, I'm watching very closely because, I mean, the Bahamas has like changed their protocols, like, you know, mm -hmm. every minute they, they've been trying to figure it out. But listen, we're called CARICOM for a reason. Why don't we all just get in a room, share mm -hmm. best, best practices, share data, let, let's look at what, what works, what mm -hmm. hasn't worked, and let's figure out what's the strategy going forward. It's it, everything. Is, it's not a one size fits all, but we don't have to keep trying to reinvent the wheel. We saw what exactly. happened in Jamaica once, mm -hmm. you know, they, they started with geofencing and it worked well, but then they had this other problem. But mm -hmm. Paho the other day, you know, commended them on their contact tracing. You know, the fact that, that despite their numbers, they have done well in the area of contact tracing. So they have still been able to keep some sort of a lid on it, you know, but that's what, I mean, I've looked at the Caymans and I see how much testing, the, the Cayman has tested more than any yeah. in, in the Caribbean. Maybe Absolutely. numbers over the Dominican Republic because they were doing a large number of testing too. But mm -hmm. what, what I saw when I was watching Cayman was like the, the testing that, like, you know what? We don't care if this is going to bring our numbers up. We're going to continue to continue to test. And what's interesting, when you look at mm -hmm. the death rate, it's still low, right? The first death mm -hmm. was a foreigner who was on that cruise ship. Right. And 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 then with this lady, unfortunately, and, you know, rest her soul, you know, but it was somebody with a predisposition, right. uh, condition, which is cancer. And then she, you know, was in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing that trend, right? That people, and I don't know if there's a different viral virus strain. I think that's mm -hmm. also a question to look at. I, I wish somebody's doing that. Like, look at the the, the strain of the virus in Cayman mm -hmm. elsewhere in the region, um, because the Caymans have fared um, better, relatively well. Yeah, you know, in terms of yeah. death numbers, even in Bermuda and other places, but we haven't seen that there. Yeah. And I think, well, I think a lot of it has been that, listen, when the government put us in lockdown, um, because again, our initial response when we were 
um, you know, talking to the cruise industry, like most other places, was like, oh my God, we can't shut down the cruise industry here in the Cayman Islands. Too many people depend on that for their livelihood. But once we recognize this, this shit is serious, like we can't play around with this. And the decision was made to close our borders and to shut down our ports. Um, the country went into lockdown and then it was very much like everyone was on board. Yeah. You know, the premier was saying, I shouldn't say everyone because there were a few ultra rich people, lawyers, whatever, who like, oh, we're going to legally challenge the government because we should continue to have our lives. And basically it's survival of the fittest. If you're weak, you're going to die. Who cares? And the government was just like, oh, no, that's not the approach that this government is going to take for us. Every single life is valuable. And, you know, we have one of our sister islands, um, Cayman Brack, who has a larger elderly population. And so even the sister islands were um, isolated from Grand Cayman in yeah. an effort to keep them as Thanks. safe as possible. Yeah. And here, you know, the restrictions were in place. Every single grocery store had up a facility where, you know, people were being checked at the door. They were being sprayed down. Carts were being sprayed down. Everybody had to wear a mask upon entry. Um, I must say that our control mechanisms were definitely in place. There was like one or two little breaches here and there. Um, but as soon as we, you know, we were in lockdown, as soon as we started reopening, you could see that people kind of had this, uh, what, what can I possibly call it? This COVID fever or itch or whatever, where they wanted to go out and socialize. They wanted to go out to the bars. So as soon as we started transitioning back into um, a phased reopening, you could see where it's a good thing that our numbers were relatively under control because then it was difficult to say to people, only a hundred persons in this area and try to patrol that, you know? So I think the initial um, complete lockdown worked well. The police were out in force um, and people, a lot of people got fined girl for breaching curfew. I saw that. Yeah, a lot of, even now, you know, I go to court and I monitor some court cases and stuff and there's still people who are trickling in, paying their $500 fine for breaching curfew. And it's one of those things where the judges are like, listen, don't even show up. It's like a traffic ticket. Don't even show up trying to argue this. It's a strict liability offense. If you were out and it wasn't your day to be out or you were, you know, grocery shopping, you had excuses. Those excuses are all fine, but I'm still going to charge you $500. Um, so I think by and large, most people understood the seriousness of it and followed the protocols that were put in place. And the police were out there um, enforcing it to a large degree. So, yeah, I think that that's why it's worked for us. Of course, we all have concerns about, you know, the border reopening and how that will um, that will transition. Um, yeah, people, you know, the economy is obviously what it is around the world. Everybody's suffering. One of the interesting things I read, Jackie, a few weeks back is that you're more likely to die of COVID-19 in the Caribbean region than anywhere else in North America, which I thought was really, really interesting. Yes, I think that was in the New York Times. I'll have to double check my source for that. But the numbers, um, I mean, that said to me, huh. But where, where and did they say um, they were basing this on, on, on what? And have they done the math? I mean, and when they're seeing the Caribbean region, are they also including the Dominican Republic or not? I mean, yes, we've seen a high death toll in the Dominican Republic, but we, um, 
you know, I, I wonder if this is based on assumptions because of our healthcare system, or is this based on the I think they were just looking at the strict numbers, but I don't know all of the countries that they were included in the Caribbean region. Because like you said, I mean, Haiti, DR, that's all in the Caribbean region. So, so. interesting. So the Dominican Republic has over 100,000 cases of COVID, and I think the dust may be over 9,000 or something. They, I mean, there were still they have a large number, right? But they've done a right. lot of testing and a lot of people have come up positive and they are the closest to where we've seen situation where they've run out of beds and, and things like that. And Haiti, interesting enough, Doctors Without Borders shut down their COVID hospital because they were not getting patients. I mean, what? So yeah, wow. so Haiti, I think has only like 9,000 cases. Yes, there's an issue with testing. They haven't been testing a lot. But when you talk to people, oh, yeah, I had that little fever, TPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just drank my tea. Haitians are getting it, but they're not dying, at, you know, um, to the degree that people assume and thought they thought they were going to be dealing with 20,000 deaths. Um, so the strain of COVID seems to be a weak one. There's also a theory that what these teas that they've been drinking have somehow, you know, helped them because there's anecdotal evidence that a lot more people have got have had it than is showing up in the test, but you're not seeing bodies sprayed out on the on 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 the ground like we saw in in in, in Ecuador. And now you've had a hospital had to close down because the beds were empty. Hmm. So so yeah, and, and it's not even, and, and we're seeing similar incidents even in, in places in Africa where they thought that they were going to be having these large numbers. Now, you know, again, one of the saving graces in a place like Haiti was the travel issue. There was already a travel ban by the United, no, not a travel ban, but there was like the number four, which is essentially a travel ban, right, from the mm -hmm. U.S. Um, because of the issues there prior to the COVID pandemic coming on board. And then you don't have the United Nations peacekeeping force there. So you really, so the country wasn't as open as say next door with the Dominican Republic where their first cases came from Italy. They've got planes coming in from Europe. Um, so this introduction of tourists and people from elsewhere, because that's how it came in. I mean, let's be real. This is, this is how, you know, we got COVID, mm -hmm. right? We've been traveling. Um, so you're starting to see it. So I'm, I'm actually kind of fascinated. And I you know what I have a Pan American, I'm going to look for that. And I have a Pajo press mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask him about yeah, it. Yeah. I kind of think that it might've been, I'll have to see if I can find the source for that, but it might've been maybe the New York times. Um, but I'll, I'll see if I, if I can find it again, I'll, I'll definitely um, share it with you. So good morning to some of our guests. We've got, um, some of our listeners, Odette, uh, Jessica's here for it. Miss Nancy. Louis is actually in Detroit listening in. Um, we always have an international crew between the UK. Atlas is joining us from the UK. Um, Sai is in Fort Lauderdale. Um, who else? Where else is my international folks? Um, they tend to listen to the program every single morning. Miss Darlene is also in the UK. Marshall is in North Carolina. Uh, so we've got Caymanians, Jackie, all over the world who make sure that they tune in right here to Cayman Road's morning program. Uh, the cold hard truth to get all of their local and regional news. And Wednesdays, of course, you guys know we dedicate to um, regional content as much as possible. Now, um, Jackie, there has been a number of things, a uh, number of storms, I should say, hitting the region. Now, I know you primarily focus on the English-speaking Caribbean, uh, but I got to tell you, um, between Hurricane Ita and Hurricane Iota, uh, and they Iota. have plummeted Central, uh, America. Central America. 
San Andreas, which is part of Colombia, Providencia and Santa Catalina got hit um, yesterday, yes, and the day before, by a category five storm, their first recorded category five storm in history. And um, it has destroyed, I mean, the pictures that I've seen coming in, because we have a few contacts who are, have relatives in the Caribbean, uh, in the Cayman Islands, my apologies. Um, and they're from San Andres, they're from Providence. And the pictures that they have been showing, unbelievable devastation. Providence is like 99% devastated. Like they're just writing like every single building has uh, some significant degree of damage. Have you been following at all any of um, the situation there? Well, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I am like the hurricane person. As a matter of fact, I have to tell you that I am the um, first foreign journalist that got into the Cayman Islands when you all got slammed by Ivan. We won't talk really? about manage that, but I was the first. Wow. Got in. Well, I got a little bit of history to know. <laughs> uh, and got chased around the Cayman when they were trying to find me to kick me out. Uh, because they did not want people to see how bad or to know how bad it was. Um, right. So I, I've been in my shares of um, of hurricanes. Usually, you know, Miami Herald was the one that would get into the helicopter when the storm was coming and to go, you know, towards the Bahamas while the storm was coming toward us to go get, you know, an idea of, um, of what was happening. But yes, you right. know, if people don't believe in climate change, I don't know where you're at. You know, and we know we have people who are doubters, right? Okay. Yeah. So just say the climate is changing and yeah. this is the first time since what 2005 that we've had to go back to the greek alphabet because yeah. we have run out of names yeah and we've exceeded the 2005 record of name storms exactly. now yeah so i think we only had one greek alphabet then azeta and now here we are we're we're three in i mean i, I wrote last week about what the storms had done to jamaica because we saw with with uh with zeta and etta Here's some photos, um, Jackie, um, of the yeah. devastation. And I spoke to Juliet Holness, who was like, you know, we're praying that we can't have any more rains just because um, the devastation yeah. of what it did. It ripped up Jamaica. And now, look, we're seeing what's happening in Central America and on and, mm -hmm. and the Caribbean coast. Uh, mm -hmm. And, yeah, if you... I can understand how a place can get hit 90%, especially if this is something you've never experienced. So you weren't really building to hurricane cold. You weren't thinking about hurricanes. Um, and then as we've seen in the Cayman and throughout the region, when you tell people that a hurricane is coming, people are also very reluctant to leave, mm. you know, because um, they feel that, you know, if they leave, somebody's going to come take whatever possessions they have or that if they stay, that they'll be safer. So there are all of these dynamics. Um, and yes, it is it is it is crazy when we're seeing the amount of devastation that, that's happening in these places as a result of the storms. And I think that this again is going to sort of raise the conversation in terms of climate change. Um, yes. a, I found it interesting. People, I don't know when I write about climate change, people don't seem to be that interested. They're interested in the hurricanes, but when we talk about climate change in general and sort of what needs to happen or the push to 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 try and mitigate against it. There doesn't uh -huh. be a lot of interest, but I think that what's happening this year, that people are going to have to start getting interested. And even us in the region, we're going to have to start having not just conversations, but we're going to have to take serious decisions about the way we build and where uh -huh. we allow people to build because uh -huh. um, we're going to continue to see this. Right. Wow. 
So we have some photos here. I mean, a lot of it is just absolutely shocking, to be honest. Um, the devastation, like I said, particularly in Providence is significant. And so now they've had five persons, just to give an update, they've had five persons confirmed dead um, from Hurricane Iota. The Colombian military has finally arrived um, on these uh, islands because there was no communication in Providence all day yesterday. So people had no idea really of how significant the damage was even. Now that the uh, military has gotten in there, I think they've been able to get some word out as to exactly what it is. The place is flattened. Like I've seen some aerial views and literally everything, it's a total destruction. All the power lines are down. The buildings are um, completely devastated. There's a few videos that um, have been floating around. So this is indicative of what you're gonna see every single place, unfortunately, in um, Providencia in particular. Uh, San Andres has a lot of damage as well, but um, this this is what it is. I mean, this is unbelievable. Look, look at this, this is crazy. And this is every single building. Like I've not seen a picture that the structures were not just either flattened or you were lucky if part of it was like, maybe the bottom floor kind of survived, but everything else has gone around it. So the um, military, the Colombian military has arrived there. The president of Colombia is actually in the area as well. And they are assessing the damage and trying to, um, to get, you know, uh, an idea of what they need to do in order to assist people. Having said that, I know that persons here in Cayman are also, there's a meeting last night um, to see how they can start to organize some efforts to assist. So as I get more information, folks, on um, who's going to be assisting, how they're going to go about assisting, we will certainly let you guys know how to get in contact with those individuals. And we're actually hoping to reach someone either from Providence or San Andreas for an interview, uh, perhaps tomorrow, so we can get an idea of what is going on there with them. So stay tuned for that part of it. But yeah, it, it looks really, really bad. I mean, this is kind of indicative for us. It gives us flashbacks, of course, of Hurricane Ivan. But I must say for us, Jackie, um, we had a lot. I mean, Hurricane Ivan definitely kicked her butts. But a lot of our structures are concrete structures. Like when I look at a lot of these photos, I see structures that are obviously wooden structures, a lot of zinc roofing and stuff. And we have some of that. But by and large, I would say probably at least 85% of the buildings in Cayman, at least, are actually concrete buildings. And so yeah. naturally... Cayman was how close you were to sea level. I mean, I oh my God. the graves came up out of the cemetery. Yeah, listen, the ocean came, washed in, washed four or five feet everywhere. Yeah, people were standing on their... Yeah. My, my cousin lives in Cayman, and, and I remember her telling me stories, Elora, about, you know, having like standing on the washing machine because the water was like rising, you know, inside the, you know, inside the house. Um, so, so yeah, so that was the issue. But yeah, when you see these wooden structures, I mean, which I've seen in Haiti um, and I've seen them in Jamaica, um, you know, when you have these storms, you, you have that added devastation. And it really, and if you, you know, sometimes you get more water than, and you get, or you get more wind. Um, and yeah, but clearly, you know, hurricanes are bad and yeah. they're very Ooh. devastating and the economic impact is huge. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, Honduras and Nicaragua got hit um, last week really, really hard. And then two weeks or oh, two weeks ago. And then two weeks later, IOTA comes rolling in. Um, a lot of efforts here have been on the way to assist those countries as well. Shocking that not the death toll that Hurricane Mitch brought with it back in the, when was that, the late 90s, but the economic toll has been much more significant. The loss of property and, you know, just the mudslides and all the flooding has created an unbelievable um, disaster. Yeah. And, and we, the president, the president's wife was out handing out popcorn. Yeah. Well, we still have people in the U.S., you know, um, who are victims of Hurricane Mitch and, that's part of another debate with the whole immigration status issue. But yeah, I mean. Right. Yes. Because in, yeah. when I was doing a research for some research for an article I did, they were talking about this, um, the, the TEPA, the TPA, whatever it's called. Very protected status, TPS. Yes. Uh-huh. And they're saying now that with this storm, there are people who are in the U.S. right now from Guatemala or Honduras or whatever, Nicaragua, and they're going to be applying for that status to get them to stay there and don't return home, basically. So. These things have an impact on everybody. You know, we always say that if the U.S. sneezes, we catch a cold. Yes. But, you know, if we get hit by a hurricane in the region, people flee to the U.S. There's going to be an anticipated mass exodus of people potentially leaving from Central America trying to get to um, a safer environment. Of course, with COVID, what really is a safer environment at this time? It's like you're running from one danger to the next, potentially. Exactly. And then, and, and our borders are still closed. I mean, you know, yeah. Trump's still president. And so all of these enforcements and crackdowns that he has um, promoted at the borders, they are still in play. So um, the, the borders of the United States are not as open as they used to be. And, and, and we've seen this. So, um, you know, so I think that's the, the issue. And there's a whole big debate that's going on in terms of temporary protective status because President Trump has moved to end that program. There are at least six lawsuits in the federal court systems as it relates to this. Um, you also have Haitians who are also part of that whole TPS status. So it's not going to be easy for, for people to get TPS. Um, and I don't know if Biden coming in would designate TPS for these areas that have been devastated. Mm -hmm. um, so that will be another thing to watch going down. But yeah, think times have changed and things are tougher. Yeah. So thank you, Amanda. Um, Amanda has been one of those persons sending me a lot of information about what is happening in San Andres, um, Providencia and Santa Catalina in reference to the storm. And she has just updated us that the communications are still um, very poor because of the internet. But um, as soon as she's able to, she'll definitely uh, jump in an interview to kind of give us an update on what's going on. So thank you so much, Amanda. You've been a lifeline for us to just be able to give people an idea of what is happening there. Um, big shout out to Lenny as well. Lenny has also been very, very instrumental in um, getting us information. And of course, Ingrid, um, who is from San Andres, has also been receiving information from her relatives there. So uh, Walton says the West Indies and Central America have to start uh, building better so that we can survive hurricanes. Well, as we know, here in the Cayman Islands, um, I would say our building structures were pretty good before Ivan, but certainly Ivan uh, prompted a change in our planning and building codes and they were tightened after that. So any newer structures have uh, a lot more restrictions on, on how they can build, be built and you know what uh, what that's going to look like. So I think Walton makes a very fair point. 
Um, Amanda says we'll give you some details soon and how and who will be coordinating the donations as they're having another meeting this morning. So thank you, Amanda, appreciate that update. Um, whoa, so much going on. Do you think, I know everybody's cussing 2020. Um, there was a meme that went out the other day that said, um, um, oh gosh, what did it say? It was like, oh, you know, it's Friday. And then the guy said, oh, hold on. It's Friday the 13th in 2020. And he kind of like has this look on his face like, oh God, the whole world is gonna blow up. Um, do you get that sense? I mean, you're in the world of news, so you see it all and you know, you know every trauma and, and tragedy that's happening in the region. Do you think 2020, with the exception of COVID, because I think COVID has magnified everything. Uh, do you think 2020 is any worse than any other year? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is not even up for debate. This is not even up for debate, no. Oh my God. So it's not a perception. Let me just tell you, earlier this year, you know, when this COVID thing was happening in December, I'm looking at it. You're looking at Wuhan, China. You're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. The idea that you can soon be Wuhan, China, I think was just still this kind of a far-fetched deal. And I remember being in New York. Um, in January, because I had a, a, a speaking engagement in New York, and when I was at the airport, there were people with masks on, right? Just uh -huh. not people, but some people with masks. And then I went out to dinner at Sylvia's with a friend of mine who works at the United Nations, and he happens to be a veterinarian. And he's starting to tell me about, you know, how this is like the seventh coronavirus and all of these things. And but, but it's, he's at the UN, and this is still a foreign concept that not like two months later we were going to be in the thick of it. And mm. then I remember the day that I got locked down in Florida. I was on my way to Montreal, and Montreal had basically, you know, they didn't have that many cases yet, but then we're hearing Florida say, you go, you got to come back and quarantine for 14 days. I'm like, quarantine, 14 days? What does that mean? I have to work. I'm like, all of these foreign deals. And and on top of it, we're in the midst of a presidential elections in the United States, an election that really started in 2016. You're looking at all of what that has, you know, entails. I mean, we are in a country that has gone from people saying, oh, you can't say that. That's not politically correct. People just saying whatever they want to say. You uh -huh. know, now you're looking at your neighbors. You're looking at your friends with a side eye. Uh -huh. So this year has just, what did you say? Murphy's Law at the beginning. Everything that yeah. has happened has happened. And, and yeah. 30 hurricanes. And we're not even in December yet. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I had to say to one of my colleagues at one point, so, okay, I won't say it's my guy, somebody I know made a tweet at the beginning of this COVID deal when, um, because a pastor was insisting, a pastor of a mega church was insisting on having his flock come to church. Mm. And so I thought it was a not a very nice comment. And I said, listen here, boy, for some people, these are the last days. Yeah. So, I mean, this yeah. is where my Caribbeanist comes out. This is where, you know, Calvary Baptist Church. I'm like, mm. listen, okay, I, there are things happening and there's explanations that we don't know. But for other people, they're looking at this in another way. So you have to take that into account. Mm. So for me, I do feel, though, that we're kind of like at the end. 
And I'm saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to physically go back to work at some point, right? I mean, right, you know, right. like, it's that weird feeling, right? You're like in this really bad marriage you want out and now you're close to a divorce and you're starting to feel a little chagrin about it. So, but I do feel that we're like, we're getting out of this dark tunnel um, and, 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 you know, flipping the, the, the switch, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm a person that I'm on the plane I don't know, over a dozen times in a year. Um, I live for my my airline miles. I you know, I last flew, I think, in 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 February, end of February, early March. Um, I've I've spent more time in my house than I, than I care to count. I haven't been able to go out to a gym. I've got uh-huh. COVID 20. I mean, no, this is but and yet, you know, interesting enough as a journalist, you know, my my boss has always wondered whether or not we could be trusted to work from home. Mm. And what they have found is that we have worked harder and more. That's right. Than ever. I mean, yes. who have been on 24 seven. Yeah. Like- and you know what, well, you know what is amazing, Jackie, just talking about that for a minute. Um, it's to me, everyone seems to have discovered Zoom. And I was like, uh, you people know Zoom has been around for years, right? <laughs> I mean, this whole concept of working remotely, it's yeah. as though no one has ever considered it before. Now I kind of worked in that space anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, I'm like, this is great. I can continue doing what I've been doing. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, everybody's like, oh my God, Zoom is the next best thing after sliced bread. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not really all that new technology. Um, But because there was this mass influx of individuals who all of a sudden needed to use something like Zoom, Zoom just blew up. I mean, there's other alternatives to Zoom, obviously. But listen, you mentioned um, traveling just now and taking a flight, and this is breaking news. And you guys know we'd love to bring it to you um, as it happens here on uh, Cayman Ma Road. But you would be um, shocked to know that, um, not really because they've been working on it, but the FAA has just given Boeing the okay to resume 737 MAX passenger service. <laughs> so probably the worst time ever for um, Boeing because it's not like anybody's traveling or going anywhere in yeah. any event. But anyway, so the Boeing um, 7, 737, is that what we're calling the MAX 8? Yeah. yeah is back on folks. So you heard it here first on Cayman Mall Road in the Cayman Islands. We're always bringing you guys the breaking news info. Um, so I don't know what this comment is on on YouTube, but we've got people tuned in from YouTube. We've got Danica who is joining us from Jamaica. Um, we'll chat with her here in a second. Melita, good morning to you. Um, let me just see, Danica, are you ready to go? I see Danica just jumped up. Now, Danica has not met at Jackie before. So, um, Danica, this is Jackie from New York. She, I'm in New York, from Miami. She works for the Miami Herald. Hello. And um, this is Danica. Danica is stationed in uh, Jamaica, and she is our regional correspondent. Um, little, little tiny us. We have a, we have a regional correspondent. <laughs> because we care, we care about regional news, actually. All right. So I'm going to hand it over to Danica because I actually have a protest that is starting. All right. And by the way, tell us a little bit about this protest before you leave. So, okay. So today is the commemoration of the Battle of Vitsia in Haiti. This was the last significant battle in the Haitian Revolution 
um, against France that basically led to Haiti breaking the chains of slavery and declaring itself a free country, the you know first Black Republic on January 1st, wow. 1804. So this battle was in November of 1803. But wow. what happened now in the last um, several years, last, at least last two, three years, is that the opposition in Haiti has used this day um, to go out into the streets to protest against the president and to demand his resignation. So in the last couple of months, we have basically have been seeing, um, you know, things have been sort of, there's been this lull in terms of the opposition in Haiti um, and they're not being much. We're not like, you know, they've been imploding basically slowly, right? Mm -hmm. So they have called for these protests. They started yesterday with a dry run. There were um, things were being blown up. Uh, you know, the streets, there was a lot of tension in the streets. And so today you're starting to see this. And so the president usually would go to Cape Haitian in the north where the where Vitia is, where the battle was fought and would do a ceremony. Um, he didn't go last year. We're not seeing any indication yet if he's going to go this year. So today I'm just basically on like watch. So I'm watching this to see mm -hmm. um, if this protest sort of, you know, escalates. There's a lot just happening in the country politically. You know, there's a huge issue with insecurity. The president's trying to push constitution reform. The Trump administration is saying, no, you have to give me elections by January. So there's a lot that's happening. Mm -hmm. So we're just watching to see how this unfolds and to see right something that we need to write about or it's just something right. now how do you how will you be watching this remotely do you have contacts there no, that will I be to tell you so yes and i have to and let me just say this to you too the other you know there is a silver lining so the silver lining i think this whole covid thing is that around the region and we've seen this and and, and Danica's in jamaica she can talk about this later is that governments have been much more active on social media mm -hmm. and we are and, and we're becoming more connected mm -hmm. you know via the internet and the and, and the web even as in some of these countries we're dealing with issues in terms of net co connectivity right right so one of the things that has happened you know in in in, in Haiti is just like how you have your program live is that there are a couple of different um groups where they basically put guys on motorcycles put a a go camp on there and they will like go into you know go into mm. the protest so you can watch that um and then there's also social media i do have um contacts i have colleagues there because again you have to be careful right which i've learned some of the hard way sometimes that people will drop a video mm -hmm. um you need to know is this a new video or is this a video from the last protest is right similar but um, but today, what we are finding that even the place, you know, like 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 Haiti, that in terms of the access that people are having and everything's happening on WhatsApp. But like right now, um, I'm talking to you. But like, there's Magic Nine, which is um, the radio program that's owned by the the country's daily newspaper, the Nouvelles. They do their morning radio show live on Facebook. So you can mm -hmm. listen to it on the radio or you can listen to it also, you know, on, on Facebook. And they were doing this a little bit before COVID, but they have stepped it up since COVID. And they've now gone to a seven day um, news operation. Uh, normally on a day like today, they wouldn't even be on air. They will wait till something happened and maybe cut in and do a program. But they've been on the, on, on the air since this morning. Okay. Awesome. All right, girl. Well, keep us updated. Um, you know, yeah. we do read your articles with interest. They're always well-written and we appreciate you 
uh, keeping on top of things in the region. So hopefully you can join us next week, honey. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. You for having me. You gave me a story idea on payments. I'm going to have to look into that testing. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. All right, Danico. Have a good time. one. All right. Thank you. All right. So, Danica, what's up, girl? Morning, everyone. Good morning. You look like you rising kind of late this morning, girl. What's going on? Listen, I have been up in Jamaica. <laughs> I have been up late at night because the time I'm out of sync. But I actually yeah. wasn't late this morning. I was actually up early this morning. I look puffy okay. because I had I did what Sandra told me to do last week, guys. Sandra stuck something in my head, but we're not going into the food conversation today. I went and I had Devon House ice cream. So lovely, I'm swollen. But what? that's You're I'm allergic. How can you be allergic to ice cream? Because I'm allergic to milk, cheese, and eggs. Oh, you have a dairy allergy. Lord Did have mercy, girl, you should have known better. It didn't stop me from um, doing what I was supposed to do, but now I look a wreck. So, oh my gosh! Well, the price the price we pay those of us who don't look a wreck there look a wreck on the hips because it's going to show up in some other places. <laughs> so, good morning to you, morning, morning viewers. Mute, um, morning. How are things in Kingston? What's the vibe? So, right across the Caribbean. The vibe this week is COVID-19 and what are we doing in terms of the Christmas season? As many of you would have known, there is an ongoing debate in, in, um, in countries all across the region as to how we will treat with the winter tourism season. I don't think it's so much that we wanna give people a Christmas. It's more so that we are interested in balancing the economy with the pandemic. Um, the truth is a lot of the people that we've come into contact with are of the opinion that the economy should be restored. Many people are taking the approach of Ralph Gonzalez to some extent. They want the government to do away with the curfew. And, and for those of you who, who follow regional news, you will know that Ralph is now a five-star general, having won the latest election in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. He's been there since 1998. Now, if you know anything about Ralph Gonzalez, he's extremely charismatic. And I think that's what gives him this ability to have longevity in po in politics, but he's also a very influential figure regionally. And I say that in light of the fact that when this COVID-19 pandemic started and we started doing these curfews and he was asked about curfews, well, I'm not sure what protocols they have in place in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Maybe somebody in the comments can tell us, but I know that he said, is COVID Nicodemus, it only comes out at night? And I remember listening to him and laughing and going, that is an excellent point. And what we are realizing here in Jamaica and all across the Caribbean are people are just changing the time. If we can't party at night, breakfast parties have become extremely popular. There's yeah. still mass events that are happening in Jamaica, which is a great segue into one of the stories that we had from the region last week, a very powerful story, one that stirred a lot of debate. 
what are we really telling people in Jamaica, for example, about illegal parties? As you would have heard, a 17-year-old girl attended an illegal party and got into a fight. She was beaten uh, by a group of five or six women. We're not sure. And she's now on a life support machine, having difficulties breathing on her own. Her mother took to social media to denounce the, the, um, the incident, to talk about general violence, and almost to, she didn't trash the police, but many people did trash the police and say, where were the police? And the police responded that they had gone there at about 7.45, shut this party down, mm -hmm. taken away laptop, uh, boombox, sound system. And when they heard at 11.45 or 12 o'clock that two women were beaten and taken to the hospital, they were shocked. They were like anybody else. So people continue to flout the COVID-19 protocols. They continue to flout the curfew. They continue to just live their lives as normal. Um, you know, one of the biggest pieces of this conversation is centered on the fact that should we be taking away the blame from the violence producers and blaming the child for flouting the COVID-19 restrictions. And I don't think that it's a conversation that needs to be dissected in that way. We must have compassion for, for she's 17 years old. We must have compassion for her. The fact that her mother gave her permission to go to this illegal session raises all sorts of red flags in my mind. I think- Oh, so she had permission from her mother. Yeah. So, <laughs> This raises a lot of red flags in my mind because mm -hmm. one, I think people need to get away from the idea that they can just act outside of the law and then seek protection from the law when things don't work in their favor. Yes. I think that is, um, is troubling. Again, I reiterate, that doesn't change the fact that we have a violence problem in Jamaica. But mm -hmm. what I suspect happened is that, you know, the women at the party probably didn't know she was 17 years old. They thought right. they were dealing with another adult because bottles are being sent to her table. So mm -hmm. they're thinking, ah, you know, and we do have a violence problem in Jamaica, but would we be taking this incident with the same seriousness had it been a quote unquote grown up? Because women fight at parties all the time and they are vicious fighters because I think people forget that just because we have a high crime and we see that in the males, most of these people grow up in single parent households and they're not raised by fathers. So their mothers would have to be I don't want to say a part of the problem, but the, they're they're modeling the behaviors of their mothers. So mm -hmm. I think this forces us to take a look at how we understand violence production. And it goes mm -hmm. back to this tricky situation where you can't tell anybody how to raise their child. But at the same time, a lot of people came out and they were bashed. 
why was your child at, at an illegal party? And I think people got stuck there and some people go, oh, you have no compassion. And But I think a lot of people are in the phase where we've seen what's been happening at illegal parties in Jamaica. You go, there's gunshots, there's this, there's that. Why isn't prevention the strategy that we use? Again, it's unfortunate because I'll tell you something, nobody wins in this situation. The mother, she loses. Uh -huh. Whether it's the fact that she's paying medical bills, what's going to happen to her daughter at the end. The women who were involved in this incident, they also lose. All of them, based on my understanding, are mothers. So mm -hmm. chances are they're single mothers. They're living in what we would call communities that are garrison communities, which, which to me equates to low income. So they going to prison and this mother getting justice now does a disservice to five other people because there are five other children that are involved in this situation. Does the mother deserve justice? Of course. I am telling people to consider what happens by one act. One act of disobedience leads to a chain reaction that could severely impact the lives of many other people in that community. And that's something that I think we need to address. Again, it's been great to see the outpouring of support for the young lady. Many of our um, dancehall artists and reggae artists, they have been coming out to show support for Kaylin Dowdy and that's that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. However, I think we also need to take our emotions out of it and look on the wider, the broader issue of what's really happening in society and encouraging parents that you, now you need to be more responsible than ever. Encouraging people in communities that now you need to be more responsible than ever because mm -hmm. had it been at a regular time, somebody would have called the police. Somebody would have shared a video of what happened, but they're all at an illegal party. Nobody's gonna do that. Nobody's gonna tell on themselves. And at the end of the day, I think we forget human nature. So. Yeah. Now, how bad are her injuries? I mean, I know the initial, she was actually in a coma. They are unbelievably bad because wow. according to her mother, she was hit with a Hennessy bottle in the head. She was lying on the ground for minutes at a time. Like she said, up to an hour. Now, this is the mother's version. The mother wasn't there. Yes. The people at the party aren't speaking. Um, and this is another thing. I don't bash people that give accounts of um, stories, but you have to remember that eyewitness accounts can be incredibly dangerous because originally they had said six women had beat this 17-year-old uh, girl and her friend. Her friend, I guess, is older. Mm -hmm. um, and what they did say it was six women, as I said, and now one of the women's come out to say, listen, I wasn't even there. I was at hospital giving birth. I was not there. So this is, and they mm. posted her picture on social media. And I have no problem with seeking your justice, but get it right. Because you can also harm somebody mm -hmm. 
by not having that verification. And that's why these things are so dangerous because as I said to my friend, of course I want justice for this girl, but like I like to tell you and I like to tell others about how the truth works. It's not what you can, it's not what is true. It's what can be proven in court. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, they can go to court and these women be like, I was not there. You have nothing that can link them there other than a child was beaten. And that is horrible, but it's just a, a, a reality of where we live. So we need to start with prevention. Wow. Unbelievable. So, unbelievable. unbelievable. Oh my gosh. There was another um, unbelievable tragedy in Jamaica this week, um, Danica. And thank you so much for um, carrying this story. Now you actually had some audio um, of this uh, interview with, I think it was the pastor involved in this. So give right. us a rundown of this child who was attacked um, by uh, stray dogs. Is that what this is? Okay, so let me start by saying that two children that we know of lost their lives that were publicized in the media. One child is from Clarendon. Allegedly, he went missing and they found him in a sewage tank. That was one of the first stories I broke. Um, then, less than a day later, a child was attacked in St. Anne. The place is called St. Dacres, St. Anne. I had gotten it wrong because I was saying Bakers, but it's D apostrophe A C R E S. St. Dacres, St. Anne, which is a rural community near Alexandria, which would be the major township. It's my understanding, based on the, the, what the pastor who responded by um, taking by taking the child up out of the road, one of the things that happened, he told me of what he heard of the incident. One of the things that he, he learned was that he arrived on the scene because church people had alerted him to the fact that there was a child on the ground laying with, I think, six or seven stray dogs over him the child he described the child's injuries as the crown was entirely torn off um because the child had been so badly uh, bitten by the animals when i asked him is this the first attack that we've had on the child and he said no people who have been passing in that area have noticed that these dogs are particularly aggressive um, and so this is not the first time that the dog would have quote unquote rushed the child or displayed um, what, what would you, aggressive behavior. He said that the child who's five years old and I asked him um, was walking to the store to get sweets. Um, and so I said, wow, why would a five year old be walking? Is that normal? Because maybe in the country communities that's you still hear I'm sorry guys I'm not sure if you guys can still still hear but um yes the child was walking to the store and he was attacked by the dogs um that's the story that the pastor received. And he basically said to me that 
you know what, it, it this child could have gone out or he was probably sent out. Um, and so it's an unfortunate uh, incident. Again, I always ask where are the parents because to me, it strikes me as one, um, almost a little bit sad that a five-year-old is walking and you know the conditions in which he lives. Nobody has come to claim, and this is again, this is again the problem. Nobody knows who these dogs um, belong to because I asked eight dogs, do eight dogs live in a yard? And they go, no. So I said, who, who, who owns these dogs? Nobody knows. So yeah. it continues to be this, this situation where there's a lack of responsibility as a whole. Mm. So a five-year-old was on the street walking to the store. What, what does a five-year-old know about going to the store? I mean, I have a four-year-old and she can't even count money. I mean, she ha I mean, if you were four, you say this is four $1 bills, she can count to four, obviously. But how do you send a five-year-old to a store to do a transaction? I don't this even understand is, this that. Comes Are you back not concerned about a child being grabbed by a child predator, run over by a car, and in this case, attacked by a dog? Like, I, I do, I, I do seriously question the common sense of parents, and I am a firm believer in that. A lot of people who have children should not have children, and to me, this is one of those examples. Like, the parents have to take. Yeah, the dog should not be roaming the streets, but as a parent you're obviously very well aware of the dangers that exist in the world. So like I, the example I always give is I would love to be able to walk around naked all over the world, but I know that that's not a practical thing for me to do. And doing that puts me in danger of a lot of different things, you know? So we have to take precautions, uh, precautionary measures to protect ourselves. And to me, are, are these parents or anybody talking about child endangerment here? I mean, the pictures, first of all, I saw the photos, I saw the video, this child's injuries. Has the child passed away now? No, no, the child is alive. Oh my God, I'm shocked by that. I am literally shocked that this child has survived that attack by that many dogs and given the condition that like people didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl because- It's a boy. It's just absolutely horrible. So you've got the one issue of uh, bad parenting, and then you've got the other issue of stray dogs in the community that no one has taken accountability for. They've been on the roaming, uh, attacking people for quite some time, and nothing was ever done about these dogs. That's the trouble that I have with Jamaican society as a whole. We come to the table when the problem is at a stage where it's almost un correctable because there is no recourse that you can now give me for my child that is going to have to have plastic surgery will never look the same as he did and he was quite an attractive little boy very nice looking the problem i have with people is that we come at the end of the incident and i think um people need to be more conscious of the the, the world that we're living in now and yes, people say it's cultural. You're sending your child to the shop. Um, maybe 40 years ago, that was good. But now, sorry, I was just saying that the changed. quality. Sorry, sorry, Danica, I was just saying that the quality in your internet seemed to have dipped again. Um, so, oh. 
just, just let me read a few, a few comments to see if your quality might improve after this. But Irvin says there are community shops nearby. For a five-year-old, listen, I would be pressed in this day and age and the environments that we live in to send even a 10-year-old to a community shop. Um, not about the busy roads. It's about somebody looking in the bushes who is going to grab and, and molest your child. That's, you know, that, that's the reality of, of what we are more than um, likely to have happen to this child. It's not about a busy street or even them getting hit by a car. It's the guy next door is likely a pedophile. And he is looking for an opportunity to grab a five-year-old. Look at the child sexual assault and murder rate in Jamaica. How anyone can allow a child out of their care or the care of a supervised adult even a 12-year-old child, you are asking for trouble. This is a stark reality. Listen, K-Man is as sleepy as you want to be. And yet, a couple years ago, for those of you who may have forgotten, we had an incident in West Bay where a child was almost abducted. Some man had ill intentions towards her. So even here, we need to be, be very, very careful. And listen, let's not talk about stranger danger because that was a stranger. But in most cases, the people molesting and abusing your children are the in people the you trust with them. Your uncles, their uncles, grandparents. Look at the case we have right now with this Francis Farron guy. He's known to the girl. He's known to the mother. He's known to the family. And you walk in on this man with a 12-year-old child with her, hand, her underwear in her hand, naked, and that man is there molesting your child. Really, people? And you think it's okay to make a five-year-old go on the street by themselves? Come on. To me, this is just ridiculous. The height of ridiculousness. Again, some of your parents just need to fix yourselves. Don't have children. Don't bother. Continue living your fly life, but leave the children out of the equation. Uh, are, the are the dogs going to now be put to sleep? What's the protocol in Jamaica? Because if they can find them, I told you nobody oh owns dogs. Jamaica is such a wild place. It's like a man child because here nothing would happen to the dogs either. It's such a wild place that nobody has seen these dogs since the attack happened. So I'm like, they just magically appeared one day. Again, for me, as you said, people are not using their brain. And I am annoyed by it because I think a lot of the things that we have happen are completely preventable. Mm -hmm. And we need to get to the stage where we prevent stuff. And yeah. stop then asking society to fix for us ills. Exactly. They cannot. Yeah. They will not. People do not change. And I yeah. keep telling people this. They go, oh, you have um, no compassion. It's not about compassion. It's about the reality of the situation that we're living in. Sometimes you know what is going to happen. You have to foresee that and say no because prevention is better than a whole pound of cure it is a little bit of prevention is better than a whole pound of cure so let us not take responsibility we feel for all of these children we feel for kaylan we feel for the boy that fell in the switch tank we feel uh -huh. for the boy that was attacked by the dogs but we need to have a very real conversation about how we can prevent these incidents. Because at the end of the day, what happens in Jamaica is if you're not of the 1%, nobody cares about you. You are just something that they can drag through court. And people, mm -hmm. they feel, oh, 
this for that person. It's not happening, guys. I wish to tell you that bad things have happened to me. And because I see in which way I have to assess myself and say, listen, I've gone wrong here. Sometimes you just have to keep your mouth and go because at the end of the day, nobody's looking out for people. We live in a selfish world where people have to take precautions. If you know that certain activities could potentially put you in danger, stay away yes. from them, avoid them. It's like when I go to the beach, people tell me, oh, just flop up your hands. No, sir, I'm a black woman. I cannot swim properly. I am not going further than where the little water touches the knee. I cannot swim. Mm -hmm because I don't want to um, enjoy myself. It's not about that. It's about the fact that I don't know what I'm doing and I can get myself into harm. And when I'm dead yeah. and gone, the only thing people can come and say is, oh, she was a nice girl. That's it. <laughs> Danica was a nice girl. Let's read her obituary, but she couldn't swim. So she should have known better than to go in. Oh my gosh. Um, it just surprises me, Danique, and I think Caribbean people, I don't know if we're more lackadaisical with the, um, with our own lives <laughs> than others, but we seem to be very, very laid back in some instances that are quite shocking and surprising to me, to be quite frank. Uh, what's your take on it? You've lived in Canada, you've lived elsewhere. Are people just as laid back in Canada about their own lives and their own safety? That's what I was explaining. I don't know if it's a, a lackadaisical problem. I was talking to my former boss about this and I was saying to him, you know, black people around the world, because whether you're Caribbean, any African-American, any African person of African descent living on the American continent starts life at a capital deficit in comparison to their white counterparts. Everywhere you go, that's true. Whether you're in Canada, whether you're in the United States, whether you're in Jamaica, whether you're in the Cayman Islands, we start life at a capital deficit. And that deficit is not necessarily just monetarily. It is because our parents don't necessarily see children as gifts. We see them, yeah, man, the Lord has blessed me, but nobody takes time to absorb what that truly means that I'm now responsible for another human being, another life. Mm -hmm. To them, as casually as you were conceived is as casually as they treat you. So we don't have this deep appreciation for the fact that we have a child and that our job is to be a guardian. And being a guardian means that you change your mindset. So you have a lot of parents, I was talking about it just the other day, and it goes back to health and lifestyle. You have a lot of parents in the Caribbean who feed their kids snacks. They have to go to the supermarket every week to buy a ton load of snacks. What you see happening is, we used to say kids in Africa have a bang belly with little skinny arms. That's the image that they sold us. In the Caribbean, we have very fat children with a bang belly, all mm -hmm. nutrient poor children. Why am I making the connection between nutrition? Because if kids aren't fed anything nutritious, their parents aren't teaching them anything sensible. This is why we have the countries that we have. They're full of toxicity. People are toxic. Their mother, oh, go sit on over there, so keep your mouth quiet. This is how we treat our offspring. I don't 
-hmm. No, I can't speak for the white community. I'm not white, so I don't know what they do with their child. I can only speak right. from what I see. They yes. just, you, you kind of just leave the child out to raise themselves. They don't yeah. talk to them, so they're poor readers that you, yeah. don't, you don't do. I think, I think a lot of it, um, you know, sometimes as a person of color, we think of these things along color lines, but I think a lot of it really is a matter of um, knowing better and um, having been educated yourself, right? So the people who have discussions about the importance of reading to babies and toddlers and children, the people who understand the importance of quality time with your child and all these things tend to be um, people who are more educated because they understand the significance of doing certain things, interacting with your children and controlling their exposure, controlling the environment that they're in instead of just handing them an iPad or phone or whatever. And those types of things matter, but those people are more likely to make better decisions. So I think that we don't necessarily, um, know what our Asian, well, Asian people by and large, well, I shouldn't really say that because it depends on where you're from. But, you know, we kind of do pigeonhole people, I think, by um, race and nationality. So we think, oh, yeah, white people have this all together. But listen, there's a lot of white people living in um, less ideal economic situations. We trail apart kind of concept. And they are not doing any of this stuff with their children either. And they're but raising very ignorant children in the world, just like some black people in the garrison are doing so. I, I agree, but if you're going with that argument, you would have to consider the fact that a lot of black people start off economically poor. So we tend to yeah. be at a disadvantage. Well, so yes. we tend to flow from the argument that irrespective of how you think about it, we are still the the the, the group For sure. Of there is a greater um um, yeah, so automatically they, built in just because of, of who you oh, are. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I get the people that go, everything is not racial and I mm. go, yes, but also you start off at a poorer place. If for 400 years you were giving yeah. away your labor for free, you come up, you come at a, a natural disadvantage. Your white counterpart that has land in his family tends to do better than you because he starts off in a better position. Right. So economics is, is in indirectly and directly linked to race. Yeah. Um, I will also say this, a lot of people in the Caribbean, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with mindset. Now, yes, it is true that money can help you to make more time for your child because you're spending less of your time making money. But mm. what I found out with a lot of parents is that they genuinely don't want to be bothered with child rearing. That's not right. the height of their focus because their idea of being a mother, and I can't speak on this issue without addressing the fact that I am not a mother, so I don't know. This is yeah. just what I'm seeing as an individual. They start off parenting with, oh yeah, um, all I do is I feed it and I and I put it on Instagram and I use the word it because that's what we we've we've boiled ch a child down to something to dress up so not another human being we don't consider children human beings i remember being told not by my own parents but when i went to other places that children must be heard and not uh, must be seen as not heard and all of those little things and i thought to yeah. myself 
children have an integral role to play in, in the future that we're creating. We need to encourage them to be a part of discussions. We need to encourage them to become full adults. Many of us suffer with mm. things in our life because of right. how we were raised as children. So yeah. for me, growing up as an only child has really shaped my perspective mm. on the world in general. Mm. You know, I am I am a different person having grown up with no other children around me than other people. It doesn't make me selfish because I know a lot of people go, you can be quite selfish. I go, no, it's not about being selfish. It's about mm -hmm. being realistic because I can tell you a lot of people in the Caribbean somehow think that they're having an issue. It becomes everybody's issue. And I go, no, that's not the way it works. That is mm -hmm. your issue. Mm -hmm. So being the only child has forced me to be selfish sufficient as an individual. Right. When I say self-sufficient, I mean that I'm less likely to go into the world thinking, mm -hmm. oh, no, I don't have a socks. I can just borrow one. I go, no, I don't have a socks. Yeah. I need to make one. Yeah. So it changes your perspective. And I've mm -hmm. noticed this with a lot of people in the Caribbean. They have children with the expectation that, oh, well, I can just ask Miss Sandra. She has money. I'm going to beg her rice today as if Miss Sandra doesn't have her own problems. And that to me is right. selfishness. They all say, oh, you're selfish. You have a lot. You should give me. No, no, no. I work for what mm -hmm. I have. Mm -hmm. Why not you? Yes. Well, Danica, I tell you what, this is a conversation. We could have an entire discussion on this and maybe one day we should. Um, before I was a mother as well, I shared your views in terms of child rearing and parents taking more accountability and responsibility for the lives that they're choosing to bring into this world. Although I think most of them are operating with the Britney Spears standard. Oops, I did it again. Um, and you know, when I would speak on these things, I had a lot of people came on, well, you're not a mother. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Sandra hates single mothers. And I'm like, how does, how does saying that you need to family plan that as a teenager or a young woman in your twenties, um, it is to your detriment. These are factual things. It is to your detriment to be having children at that age, especially when you do not have a life partner, at least someone who on paper has committed to being your life partner. You don't have a job. You don't have an education. You don't have all of these things. You know, when I have those conversations with young ladies in our community and I say, at 25, you've already got four or five children. Do you not recognize that every single child you have now just put in a detrimental situation in terms of their opportunity, opportunities in this world, their opportunity to get an education, therefore setting them up for a better job. I mean, you're just recreating the cycle of poverty, the wheel of poverty over and over again. And they think, oh, well, she's you know holier than thou and she's sitting in her high horse. And then I have to give them a reality check. Hello, I know this because this has been my story, right? I come from a family of eight siblings. Um, I left the Cayman Islands at the age of nine. So after that point, I did not grow up with any of them. But I know the impact that that has had on the opportunities of pretty much all of my siblings. And the first ones who were out of the barn first, they had a better opportunity, not really um, because they came out first, but because somebody else was able to take them, a grandparent or someone else, and say, okay, I will raise these children and try to get them to a certain point where they can go to university, they can get an education, they can build something for themselves and so on and so forth. And when you have parents who keep popping children out, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and they don't get it, 
It's like, what is wrong with the world? And I wish that governments of the world would have this conversation more with their constituents. But of course, they're, they're trying to get votes, right? Sandra. And like Cameron just said, you can't tell people the truth and be popular because apparently, um, you know, if you speak the truth, you're hurting their feelings. It's not politically correct. It's not this, it's not that. I agree. And I, I also think, you know, the situation that happened with the 17 year old, the government has been very quiet on the, the matter, you know, because at the end of the day, people forget that other people do make judgment calls. Absolutely. And one of the judgment calls that we're making here is they heard illegal party, they're like, whatever, we're leaving it alone. It's incredible that nobody has spotted that. And I go to people and they go, well, you guys should be da -da -da, women are, I'm like, this is what your culture promotes. Your culture says that if a woman attacks you, lick a girl in her face because you're, and beat your chest. That's what we tell people in songs and stories. And when we tell them not to play that music, they go, you're judging me. Mm. No, we're not. We're trying to prevent these types of situations from happening. When something happens to you and we resort to violence, that's what we've been told in this culture. So you need to stop and take a look at you because I'm not the, I'm not the problem here. I'm not jumping people at a party. There must have been some socially acceptable reason why these women were fighting and nobody batted an eyelid. There must have been. So, I mean, people need to start being internal. I agree, we must have compassion for others, but we also need to start taking a hard look at ourselves and going, I am a part of the problem. Did yeah, you accountability, accountability. Of course, because I'm a part of the problem too. Because you know what I did? I said, wow, sad. I'm not particularly getting up out of my seat going, oh, I need to go and raise money. I am going, mm, I have other things that I care about. Should I be getting up and being more strong and more vocal? Yes, but I do understand the realities in which I live, which is that we perpetuate cycles. Because when I say things and I say, oh, let's, let's consider what we're playing on the radio. Let's ask artists to consider what they're putting out. People look at me and go, you're mad. You're trying to be... Mm -hmm. You know, so you just leave them to their own devices. And that's why I think a lot of these countries have the problems that we, they have, because we realize that we can create a system out of acidity. A lawyer gets money. A doctor now gets money. And it creates an economics. So there's no interest to change the culture in Jamaica, because guess what? Tourists, they don't get attacked. They don't get abused. They well, can I don't know about that. There have been some... Uh scathing stories about tourists being sexually assaulted in Jamaica and the government, the tourism industry, the tourism association actually covering it up. Well, let me tell you a little bit about sex tourism in Jamaica. That's a real- Not, not sex tourism. I'm talking about sexual assaults at these yes. all-inclusive, all really nice resorts where the workers are actually preying on and assaulting women. And there've been documented cases of this happening. And the government of Jamaica, the police, the authorities are turning a blind eye, but I need to dig up that article to have that conversation because I'd want to give you some concrete information on that. So let's put that on the back burner for another day, Danica. Believe it or not, we're actually out of time um, for the show this morning. We always have such interesting conversations. Now, Kizzy wants to know what is going on with Amari. Um, I don't know. Is she back with Nico? Um. <laughs> No, uh, Kizzy, unfortunately, sometimes 
everybody in Jamaica this week, it's Tanya Stevenson's wig. It's back on again. It's Shensia having a um, illegal, not illegal party, a, a party in um, the United States, which has been called a COVID super spreader. Um, oh, it's all these other artists that continue to have concerts and masks and they post the pictures online. So that's what's happening in entertainment. I'm not sure about Amari, but I'm going to check into it. And if there's something big, I will put it up. Um, so Sanika, as you guys know, covers regional um, and entertainment news. And um, I must say that I was telling Danica that uh, last week, Friday, I was in court and I ran into someone and they were like, boy, me love when you have Danica on, you know, me love her news and me love this and that and me love her writing style. And I was like, that's good to hear the positive. We know a lot of you guys enjoy it and you do read Danica's articles, um, but it's good to have that positive feedback that I can then um, pass on to Danica so that she knows that she's on the right track. She's got her fans right here in the Cayman Islands. And you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring you guys variety. Thank you so much, Danica, for coming on the show this morning. Wednesdays, Caribbean Connection Wednesdays. We have Jackie from the Miami Herald. Big shout out and thanks to Jackie. She joined us this morning as well. And she'll pop in when she can. Obviously, Jackie, um, her responsibility covers all of the English uh, speaking Caribbean. And like she said this morning, these partnerships are important because you know, through our discussions, we just gave her a possible story about the Cayman Islands. So, hey, when you guys see uh, Cayman mentioned in the Miami Herald, you can thank Cayman Mall Road for that. Look at that. Big up yourself, Cayman Mall Road. Um, Linda, thank you so much. Um, Linda has shared a story about the historical problem with resorts in Jamaica. That might be the one I was looking for. Um, I think it was an actual different news source, Linda, but it's probably the same information. Um, so I think we should have a discussion that let's pencil that in one day soon. And yes, it is a known issue for sure, without a doubt. In fact, Sue McLaughlin, I know Sue is here, will remember when I posted it on Facebook, it's been at least over a year or more ago. And Sue loves her a Jamaican all-inclusive vacation. So Sue, I don't think, um, realize the big deal about it. And Sue was really upset when she saw the article. She's like, well, this hasn't been my experience. This can't be true. Well, just because it hasn't been your experience in Jamaica doesn't mean that it's not a widespread problem of sexual assaults, not only being reported, but nothing being done about it. And the accusation is the police, the tourism, the officials who you think should be doing something, the hotels who you think should be doing something about it are largely in the cover-up game. So let's let's talk about it one day because I think it is very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's like the, the French parents, remember little baby um, Madeline? You know, they go on vacation and uh, where were they? Was it uh, Portugal? And they go out for dinner and leave their two children in the room sleeping by themselves. And then little Madeline goes missing. And they have an entire life of living with understanding that they contributed to Madeline being vulnerable and this predator who now they have in custody after all these years, because they were even the parents when she accused of maybe you did something to her, but now they have this guy in custody and he has been a serial rapist assaulting old women. Um, now we know he was you know, going after children and stuff as well. We can make ourselves 
vulnerable to these people by making very poor decisions at times in their lives. Whether it's a decision to think, oh, wow, this is a nice resort in Portugal. I can leave my two young toddlers um, in the room sleeping by themselves. And I'll just go check on them every half an hour while my husband and I having dinner with our friends and drinking. It doesn't take half an hour for somebody to snatch a little four or five-year-old child. It literally takes seconds. And so, you know, as parents, we all find ourselves in situations doing something and we go, oh my God, I better not do this because this could happen. So some prime examples right in Jamaica, right and came out of this happening all the time. We put children's lives at risk. Sometimes we put our own lives at risk by doing things um, that in hindsight just wasn't a really good idea. So listen, folks, we got a number of stories that we're working on here for you today. Of course, the big story yesterday was the fact that the Public Accounts Committee has asked for the removal of um, Linford Pearson as chairman of the Off-Reg Board. Uh, that report has not been tabled before the Legislative Assembly. So unfortunately, despite our sources being rock solid, we cannot uh, speak to that in terms of getting anyone on board because uh, the report has to be tabled first for it to be in the public domain for any of the PAC members to comment on what's in the report and so on. For your benefit, the Public Accounts Committee is um, holding public meetings this morning. They just started. Uh, this time they're looking at annual reports from the Cayman Islands at Turtle Conservation and Education Center for financial years ending December of 2017, 2018, and 2019. So they have three years worth of um, financials and the proceedings can be viewed online at the YouTube channel. And I think um, they feed it through to their Facebook channel, the CIG TV Facebook channel as well. So some of the other things that we are working on for you, of course, we will be following up on the San Andreas story. I know a lot of you are interested in that. We just announced that Boeing uh, Max 8 is back on again. So that story will be going up here shortly. Margaritaville is officially in receivership, the local um, location here, owing millions of dollars to creditors. Um, we're off to court this morning to talk about and get some information on a man who has been charged with seven counts of assault against a minor. We want to know who he is so we can put his face on full blast right on Cayman Ma Road. And of course, the cruise industry with Sea Dream Cruises um, deciding to put out a cruise last week, which has uh, ended in spectacularly disastrous fashion, folks. It's not a time to take a cruise. It's not a time to travel. It's not a time to take a vacation. Stay put where you are. COVID is running rampant around the world, folks. Um, I encourage you to just relax, do a staycation, go to Cayman Brack, enjoy Little Cayman. So that's all I've got for you. You guys have a wonderful Wednesday. It is hump day Wednesday, so go get it, folks. Work hard. We all got mortgages and bills to pay. And the best way to do it is not stealing from other people. It's not damaging other people's property. Thelma. It's not doing any of those things. It is getting up, going to your respective jobs, working hard, giving your employer an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings.